0: Na 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 Smut Report.
1: Hello and happy January. I'm Erin at the Smut Report, and this month we're gonna try something a little bit new and podcast. Angrin <laughs> and Holly are here with me, and we're transitioning our Great Smut Debate from a conversational transcript format on the blog to this podcast format. So we're going to talk about heteronormativity of HEAs. And I raised this with the group last year because I had read a couple of books that focused on polyamory and was on Twitter a little bit seeing some interesting conversations about the heteronormativity of the happily ever after specifically and happily for now more broadly. So of course, you know, Ingrid and Holly were always on board with that. We're always on board for a conversation. (laughs) But then I'm also the person who manages our Goodreads page. And so I'm always the one pulling the books out for getting covers or adding titles to our red list. And I notice sometimes that some of them have a lot of options under one title. So I suggested to the group, like, what if we did a who wore it best type of thing? Uh, And we're going to start this month with a Who Wore It Best for Husband material, which of course is, in our context, relating back to Alexis Hall's husband material that came out last year that I read and then Holly's reading for this week as well. But on top of that, we found three other husband materials that we're going to discuss. And we thought that the the heteronormativity of HEAs combined with the idea of husband material might be fun to discuss. So that's what we're going to do today.
2: Yay! Yay! Hey All right. So I'm Holly and let's start with just some basic background. Like what are what are the premises of these different husband material, right? Like what's it about? So the Alexis Hall husband material is about Luke and Oliver decide they're gonna get married. And what does that mean for their relationship? I also read husband material by Emily Belden, which is about a widow who is now rethinking her marriage and whether or not her husband was actually the perfect husband that she has him built up in his mind. And so that's kind of how she's thinking about what makes the perfect husband.
0: So I'm doing Brenda Jackson's husband. This is Ingrid, by the way, really adjusting to this podcast format so well. Anyway, I'm doing the Brenda Jackson husband material and mine is also pretty juicy because it's about uh, it's a second chance about a couple who they were married one was a big time director one was an actress and they got married and just did not make it he was too busy she wasn't communicating and anyway they get smushed together at this beach house situation he decides he's gonna poke at her a little bit and then all of a sudden with some poking everything comes out and they start having to reevaluate their marriage and what went wrong. So there's that. And I'm already sensing some common themes with what husband material actually means. So Aaron, you're next. Go.
1: Right. So I went a slightly different direction. My husband material is the manga That came out, I don't know, a couple years ago by Magumu Minami. Based on Harlequin Romance Husband material published by Emily Goldrick in 1995, I believe. That might be wrong because at the end of the manga series it said 1985. Which tracks based on what the content in there is. Which is also involving a widow and a divorced single father. And there are some hijinks going on in the background there's a lot of general content of like oh this widow could be your new mother and like we can't feed ourselves so you need to get a wife to feed us kind of conversations it was shocking not shocking kind of hilarious in an I can't believe I'm reading this way <laughs> I read all 12 manga in two hours
0: <laughs> nice
1: wow it was amazing
0: yeah, that's kind of the theme that I was looking at because for mine, I think the one of the reasons that I picked it was because it just seemed like I immediately felt tired reading about the conflict because I was like, okay, this is, do we have to do this again? Because it's just too realistic. He just single-mindedly pursues his career at the expense of their relationship and is then shocked when he discovers that's the reason that they split up. I think this heteronormative conversation is going to be real juicy.
2: Well, okay. So what do you think? What does it mean then in a romance romance speak to be good husband material? What do you guys think?
1: Given that the book that I read for this week, originally by Emily Goldrick, is so old, we're seeing a lot more of the stereotypical gender roles. Like he's a good husband because he is assertive and a caregiver and a breadwinner, even though she's also quite wealthy, but like she doesn't want people pursuing her because of her wealth. She is a good... Spouse because she is a caregiver for the child and can take care of the home. So even though she's not looking for a husband because she's widowed and her last relationship wasn't that great, she's swept away by him in part because he's like way too assertive. Like consent is—is is consent even a thing in this book? I really, I really couldn't say. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know he kind of like forces himself into this role of being the big man provider guy when i look at it compared to luke and oliver in alexis hall's husband material their husband material is effectively subverting the idea luke is thinks that he can't possibly be anybody's husband material because he's such a mess like he doesn't even want to admit that they're living together and oliver is very obviously perfect husband material because he's so put together and responsible <laughs> and like has his flat, and, like, cooks breakfast. And at the end of the day, that doesn't matter at all to what it actually means to them and their relationship with each other.
2: Well, I think even before you get to the subversion of Alexis Hall, which I think we should kind of circle back to, but just hearing about the book Ingrid read, it's already such a flip from what you're describing, right? Because... The hero in the Brenda Jackson, it sounds like, was the big man and the big provider and
0: assertive,
2: and that's what destroyed their relationship. Mm-hmm. And that now, when was your book published, Ingrid? Do you remember? Uh,
0: 2020.
2: Okay, right. So like now, basically, yeah. the it's the emotions that make you a good husband, right? And the, the Belden that I read was published in 2019, I want to say, and- it's a little bit different because she's rethinking her relationship with somebody who already died and they were only married for a year. But he w- he was for her the perfect husband. Also not because he was assertive, but because he did things with her and he pushed her to be a better version of herself. And they had fun together, not because he was a great provider. Holly, then which way does her rethinking take her? Oh, so her rethinking is... Because now, she, so she's been a widow for five years, and she's about to turn 30. So she was a very young widow. And she spent the last five years trying to figure out an algorithm for how she can find a new perfect mate based on the numbers. Because her first mate was perfect. And then she discovers that, she, um, spoil, spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. She discovers that actually he had a secret love baby from before they got married. And so maybe he wasn't perfect after all. So it's about her kind of letting go of this idea of you can find a perfect husband.
1: So I think that's really interesting. This is going to go on a complete tangent because I think the I found out about a baby that you had before we were together and being upset about that is an interesting idea and I think it taps in very heavily to this idea of the one perfect mate idea which is pretty heteronormative because that's something that came up a bunch of readers were really upset with the new Lisa Kleypas book which I can't remember the title of right now People were upset with it for a lot of reasons, but one of them was that it turns out, I mean, this is not really a spoiler, spoiler or not spoiler. It turns out that the hero is an illegitimate son that Sebastian, who is, of course, St. Vincent, who is, of course, one of the most popular Lisa Klebus heroes of all time, is his illegitimate son. And people were horrified that he, he did that to Evie. Like he had this child before he met Evie even. <laughs> so it, it's just, it blows my mind a little bit. Um, Or, you know, I've seen it in advice columns. So it's interesting that the idea that this hero in the Belden book had a child out of wedlock before he was married as a problem makes him less perfect.
2: Well, I think for her is in this book in particular... Her struggle is, I mean, the kid is 12 now, so he had this child out of wedlock, and she didn't know about it, I think, is the bigger problem.
0: Did he know about it?
2: Well, that's the thing. No, he didn't. But her new love interest was is, like, her dead husband's best friend, and he knew about it, and so, like, that's where their conflict comes in. It's too bad that this book was, like, so exceptionally irritating to read, because... It's re- it was really juicy. And now that I'm thinking about it, like with a little bit of space, she's doing some really interesting things with the idea of, I mean, basically the heteronormative HEA and what does it mean to like find your partner and have forever. As you'll recall from my review, the book was really
0: irritating to actually read. <laughs> so like, we kind of jumped in, but I feel like it would be good to talk about what a heteronormative HEA is. And then from that, be like what the roles that each partner traditionally heteronormatively is supposed to fulfill in this, because we're talking a lot about how these books are kind of playing with that theme. But yeah, so like is the heteronormative HEA? What is it now? And what was it in years prior? Like, has it changed over time and stuff like that? That's something that I would be interested to discuss.
1: Yeah, with. that is something that is actually one of the tweets that I had mentioned earlier is a tweet from Steve Amondown, who is at S-T-E-G-A-N on Twitter. And he is, he's an archivist by profession, a romance historian, very knowledgeable. And he tweeted at one time last year about books that subverted the HEA for their time. And of course people jump down his throat because the HEA is sacrosanct, right? But it was really interesting that one of the books that he pointed out was a book from the 70s in which the heroine didn't want to get married and they don't get married at the end. But it's a book from the 70s, right? Now, a book we'd be like, okay, they're leaving that open-ended or they're not going to get married. And maybe that's not my favorite thing, but that's definitely what other people are looking for. And nobody's going to pitch a fit about it or say that it's not valid, right?
2: Okay, but let's back up to
1: Ingrid's question. Well, I think we should need to define terms. Yeah. For anybody who's not already aware, heteronormativity is ideas based on the notion that there is a gender binary and that the best way to exist is for people to exist in this heterosexual gender binary in which there are specific roles for the genders to play, right?
2: So in normal speak... A heteronormative H E A is a man and a woman,
1: a cisgender man and a cisgender woman.
2: Well, but if we're heteronormative, then maybe not. I think it's more just a man and a woman get married and
1: have the babies, (laughs) right? This is this is. I think for a romance, yeah. For if we're talking in the romance world,
0: I mean, technically, 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 I think the getting married part. I think that that's why it's important to say like, okay, heteronormative is man, woman, happily ever after. Because like Erin said, there, there have been books where in like 1970, 1980, it was man, woman, marriage, children. But now I think heteronormative doesn't necessarily mean man, woman, marriage, children. It could mean man, woman, no marriage, children, or it could mean man, woman, marriage, no children. But the point is that the players are a man and a woman, and that they are having some kind of established happily ever after. So I think there has been more flexibility in recent times with that specific thing. But I think that the heteronormative part is simply just the players involved and the end result.
2: See, see, I disagree, because I think the key part of the heteronormative HEA is the marriage babies part. Because I think there are a lot of queer romances, male-male romances, and female-female romances, where the end of the story is about we're walking down the aisle together and we're going to adopt a baby, right? And maybe even one of us is going to stay home with said baby or be the single parent to the child that we have somehow acquired or already had, right? And that one of us will be the breadwinner. And so I think you can see this same pattern even if the player's genders aren't man-woman.
1: Yeah. So I think this is a very specific conversation to romance. It's a broader conversation worldwide. But essentially, the textbook definition would be denoting or relating to a worldview that promotes heterosexuality as the normal or preferred sexual orientation, which is based in a man-woman idea, based on the idea that there's no gender fluidity, based on the idea that you don't have to ask. The presumption is that everyone is heterosexual, right? And that everyone is somewhere within this very specific gender binary. And so in and of itself, marriage is like a legal contract, right? There's nothing specifically about it that is heterosexual except for the social contracts that we've applied to it over the centuries. Right. But even, you know, back in the day, one of my history professors who was a medieval historian was like, people were marrying people of the same sex in the 1500s. So, you know, he was like, all of this hullabaloo just is not based in historical fact. So in, in the context of like, this is a legal binding contract that exists for people. It's not relating to any sort of sexuality really but the way that it is applied is absolutely and taken on top of that when we're talking about romance novels and it's amplified everything in romance novels is amplified to be more romantic more perfect more idealized than having this perfect idea of we've had our rocky start and we've overcome it. And now we're off into our happily ever after, which has no more problems. Of course, number one, we're not even going to die. Obviously. obviously, like that is not acceptable. not acceptable. And then beyond that, to cement that idea, we are going to get married and have babies like that is going to cement the relationship even further. So I think that's where like the two two ideas kind of meet and crash into each other and make something that's even more heteronormative
0: mega heteronormative yeah
1: then it then it would be just like if we're out in the world
0: yeah i got to be honest with you i actually this is like just a total aside i actually don't really even love it in romance novels when they get married and have babies like it just bother it just kind of ruins it i maybe it's because like i'm a tired mom and so i'm like i don't really need to hear about how your whole life is about to change. Like when I hear that, I'm like, wow, guys, good luck. You know,
2: (laughs) your relationship is over. Like, okay. So, you know, in those books that we used to read back when we first started reading romances, the historical Avons in like 2002, for listeners who don't know us, there used to be this standard thing in the epilogue where the woman, they were like sitting in the drawing room and the woman was nursing the baby in the drawing room which of course would never happen but like always did in romance novels because that that's because they're, they're so different, and, they're perfect, different yeah. and perfect and perfect and family ties and the man comes in and he goes and like strokes her boob
1: i know exactly what right?
2: you're and she blushes and then looks around and she's like it's okay everybody will think that he touched the baby's cheek and usually there's other couples from the series in there and the women are also all blushing because like all the husbands came in and stroked all their boobs and they're like oh it's okay it's just the baby's cheek you guys but right and oh yeah
1: and then maybe he like carries the baby away just to prove that he's the most amazing involved. and loving father yeah. in the world
2: right but now that I have children and have breastfed, I'm like, that is the least romantic thing <laughs> I can imagine. Why are you touching my boobs while I'm feeding someone? That is not sexy. But, right? But it, it was all about what you were saying, Erin, is like this mega heteronormative. Let's cement. We're a family now. But yeah, breastfeeding, not sexy. I'm glad that that scene is no longer ubiquitous in the <laughs> epilogues of historical <laughs> romances.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd be fine if they just ended it at, like, we're gonna do this! End scene. That's it. Just maybe I'll change my mind down the road when I'm not exhausted, but yeah, that's how I feel.
1: Honestly, I don't mind that either because sometimes I wanna stay with the characters. I'm definitely a reader who's like, I'm going to be in this happy zone and I mostly there are sometimes it doesn't work for me, but I mostly love it when it's like, yay, married, babies, hooray. I know you guys are both like, no, (laughs) but here we have different ideas. But sometimes, like I said, it just like doesn't work. I think it's mostly when I want to stay with the characters and the characters are already kind of manifesting some of those beats and feelings that maybe I got from those early 2000s Avon romances, you know, that's like, then I want to kind of see what happens or I want to stay with the characters a little longer. But sometimes I get into that space and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. And then it sours the whole book a little bit. So I sometimes I think it's almost better to just leave it at the we figured out our stuff and agree to move forward together. And then you can have it be a part of your imagination, like whatever happened.
0: Unless you're going to do a series with, like, a bunch of different relationships unfolding, then you can have all these married couples falling apart because you can see that, like, oh, yeah, here they have this big issue now and they're, like, trying to solve the problem with their baby under their arm or whatever.
1: Okay, okay. So now here's a question. If the if the first book in the series is kind of left ambiguously... But then the next book in the series happens enough time after the first book that now the couple is like engaged or gonna have a baby or whatever. Does that detract from how the first book was left? So, reinforce the heteronormative HEA just not in that book.
2: Okay, so your question is basically, if some if a couple in an early book in the series has what's written as an HFN, and then we return to them in a later book, and it looks like it's an HEA now, is that what you're asking about?
1: Yeah, like left it in an HFN or left it with enough ambiguity that they're not engaged and having children, even they haven't talked about it, right? Because sometimes they don't necessarily get engaged or like have kids at the end of a book, but they'll say oh we'll we'll get married someday or right I definitely want to have three kids so then you kind of have that in your mind for a picture of their future but if it's left completely ambiguous and then it gets revisited later on but it's not in that book it's not in the epilogue like just that
2: I don't know if I've ever read a series like that but I also am a chaos reader who doesn't read series in order Mm -hmm. so I, I don't know it's hard for me to comment
1: on that
0: So I've I've read one where they get, which one was it? The Stella Reese ones. Yes. So that whole series is very tightly knit, very interwoven and you can see them hitting all the milestones but it's absolutely like in when they're dating then they get engaged a book or two down the line and then they some of them obviously the relationships are not like all the same or whatever but yeah they did that.
1: I think that's something that I also read more in indie series and then maybe like the last book will have an epilogue that's five years later or something. I do think that's not something that I see as much from especially publications out of the big five.
2: Well so I mean going back to your original question of does that change things so basically what you're describing describing is a couple having potentially a non-heteronormative HEA. And then in later books in the series, their HEA becomes the more standard heteronormative marriage and babies.
1: Right. Yeah
2: well so I think that then raises the bigger question of what does a non-heteronormative HEA look like in a romance and is that something that is actually satisfying if you're a reader right? I mean,
0: so I still feel like and maybe this is me just putting my flag in the sand or whatever I still feel like there are two separate factors at play here I feel like there's heteronormative and then there's traditional heteronormative like one mm. both of the heteronormative still in my head it's it's heteronormative describes the relationship, and then traditional or whatever. There has to be in my head. There has to be some other term for the outcome of the relationship. Not, and I don't mean H mm-hmm. A or not. I mean marriage and babies, or just heavy commitment, assuming okay, so, together forever. So
2: there's two different distinctions for you. There's yes the man woman thing. And then there's the marriage versus not marriage.
0: Well, There's marriage and babies. So like okay. the heteronormative, I get the it promotes heterosexuality mm-hmm. as, as the normal worldview, right? That is, yes, mm-hmm. I got it. I'm on board with it. I just think that in today's modern society or whatever, I know more people who have chosen to go their own way and not feel like they had to get married or have kids and it's not like they're not still in a heteronormative relationship Mm -hmm. because you know what i mean or worldview right so the point is i don't want to dismiss
2: couples who are like we're just gonna be boyfriend and girlfriend and live together forever and that's cool yes okay
0: yes yeah
1: Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I also think that, and this is another thing that's interesting about the Alexis Hall husband material, even though I had a really hard time with it as I was beginning to see what was going to happen.
2: So cover your ears if you hadn't read it and you're not Ingrid. (laughs) So (laughs) husband material, it's the second in the series. And so the first one is them starting to date. And then this is the second book. They've been dating for two years or whatever. And they kind of over the course of the book fall into getting engaged. And then they're planning their wedding and they're having all of these fights about it because one of them is like... I want to be a flamboyant rainbow gay. And the other one is like, no, you know, I kind of like the traditional Anglican service that's like very heteronormative, right? The, the man and the woman, but now we're just going to have two, two men. And so they just keep having all of these fights about their wedding. And at the very end of the book, it's the day of their wedding and they call it off. And they're like, getting married is wrong for us. And they go out into the church and they're like, bye, we're not getting married. See you later. And they walk out into the street and it starts raining and all these umbrellas go up in a rainbow of colors. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> the last image is just, and that's the end. Is there's The rain is falling and everybody's umbrellas are up and they're all different colors and it's perfect for them. And... That's the end of the book is they decide not to get married and they're going to keep just having their relationship be what it is. And it's a very active repudiation of this idea that no, in order to have our relationship be valid, we have to get married because that's what the characters are grappling with this whole book is this idea that for their relationship to count, they have to put these labels onto it and they find by putting the labels onto it, it's kind of destroying what pulls them together.
0: Right. Which I feel like really illustrates my point, right? This is not a hetero couple and they're dealing with very traditional pressures. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, those traditional pressures, maybe it sounds like in this book, are even harder because it's the, the pressure to fit into a traditional heteronormative relationship would look like, right? Mm-hmm. It threatens it invalidating their union. And so for them to be like, no, we're going to be our own couple and be mm-hmm. together. We're just not going to do it this traditional way. I think that's kind of the intersection of these two things. And that's why it's so moving because it's not, you know, this is kind of what I'm talking about. I think there's heteronormative. I think there's traditional. Mm-hmm. I think that non-hetero couples can feel the maybe even additional pressure to have this traditional relationship to make their relationship look traditional and thus also heteronormative. But I think Validated that they
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that also raises the, the issue of, of that Reddit clip that you sent us this morning where yeah. it's what it's yet another conversation of, you know, my ancient parents won't let me sleep with my partner because we're not married, even though we live together and we have a baby, you know, like, it's just the social reinforcement of what is valid does create a lot of pressure. And then when you layer on top of that in queer relationships, historically, where they existed, but they had to exist within a scope of acceptable like lavender marriages, or as long as we don't see it, it's fine. Then you have that historical baggage of like, well, now we have these rights. Now there's no reason not to play the game, as it were. Mm -hmm. Even if that doesn't feel like something that is desirable to the individual. It seems like there's a lot of social pressure to have this heteronormative happily ever after in life period right like i am Mm -hmm. definitely an am i the asshole aficionado and it's just like nightmare central because people are like oh well i'm pregnant so we're gonna get married because you know my future mother-in-law is like very traditional and everybody on reddit is like no don't do
0: it Yeah, (laughs) And I also feel like the traditional part is just bigger than the players in the relationship in my head. One of the things that I was picking up on in books, and this is part of the conversation, I think, of what we're seeing at the end of books to show that a couple is committed and that happily ever after and like back in the day it was like we said relationship marriage babies right that's what we had to see so that we knew that they were gonna stick it out but now sometimes we see a lot of different things but one of the things that i picked up on recently our generation we did not get the message for the most part it was you were gonna work you you can do anything you're gonna get a job you're gonna two working cup people in a relationship and I'm seeing in a lot of books at the end now it's Both couples have their dream jobs plus marriage, maybe children, maybe not, maybe not marriage. But the point is that like they're both established in a career for modern books. I'm seeing that a lot. I very rarely ever see. I'm a stay-at-home mom now. Yeah, I've been it's reading like a, a lot of the
1: sports romance, right? So it's like these millionaire athletes and I don't know anything about real athletes, but I think there is a, a cultural idea of the spouses of these millionaires being glamorous people who don't work and throw benefits or whatever and like that's their job. But not the, Aisha in the, Curry. In the romance world, the heroines, even if the rest of the the wags are still yeah are kind of fitting the stereotypical mold the heroines of the book are going to keep their
0: jobs entrepreneur yeah
2: Yeah. well i'm thinking even that liz lincoln book we read together last year scoring off the field where it's a football book she was the assistant no she was the nanny okay right but even at the end of that book it wasn't that she was the mom full-time even she kind of was but also through their relationship she like Got a cool new job that was her dream job, right? Because it gave yeah. her the confidence and the like the financial stability to be able to go out and get the job that she really wanted, right? So, like, even though the whole premise of this book is you're going to be the caretaker for my child, at the end, her H.E.A. is also about finding having her own her career and having this more full
1: experience so i guess that leads into our question of like what does an HGA look like now versus in the past and what does a non-heteronormative HGA look like and are they satisfying
0: yeah we all read different books and this is why i like to like see what you guys think but the modern books that i'm reading it's always the commitment is he supports her in her dreams she supports him in his dreams career-wise right mm-hmm. sometimes there's a kid Sometimes there's a marriage, but the point is that they are both established and thriving individuals that are committed to each other. That's what yeah. I'm seeing now as a as a, like a newer trend. Even in some of the historicals, in some of the historicals that I've been reading that are newer, if even if she's a lady and she can't work, she's got something outside of the relationship—a really committed hobby or a, some kind of volunteering thing—that she's that's her baby, and he's supporting her in that, and then he's got his thing, right, and that they're together. Mm -hmm. So I feel like what I'm seeing in our generation of authors that's coming up and like writing books now, that's the happily ever after that I'm seeing. I'm not seeing so much marriage and babies. I'm seeing two jobs.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and I think that's changed a lot, even in the past 10 years. I'm just thinking of like the Maiden Lane books, Elizabeth Hoyt published in the past 10 years ish. And there are definitely some books in that that are like, the whole point is Mama wants a Baby Now. I mean, I'm not reading every single book that's published now, so it could be that there are those. But I feel like that was even more mainstream 10 years ago than it is now. Because I can't think of a book that doesn't have this, like, yes, we are both fully actualized individuals and maybe kids are a bonus that came out in the last year or two that I've read. Basically, I'm saying I agree with Ingrid. I think it's (laughs) changed. And I think that this has been a really rapid change.
1: Holly, you read a reasonable amount of sapphic romance. Mm-hmm. What do you see there? Because I read a lot of queer male-male relationships, and it's been interesting to me to register. Certain authors definitely have their visions of like what a happily ever after looks like.
2: You know, I can't think of any sapphic romances that I read except for ones that were already single-parent books that ended with babies. Like I cannot think of a single one. But I've been reading a lot of lesbians in space. So like <laughs> like, like sci fi romance and paranormal romance it like has its own whole different set of expectations. But I but it is two self actualized individuals doing their thing at the end.
0: Yeah. And I that doesn't really surprise me. We're 80s babies. That was the whole thing. Romance novels, like we said, it's like romance novels aren't necessarily supposed to look like what is actually happening. It's supposed to look like what we dream of happening, the ideal outcome. And like we were raised with, you can do anything, you can be president if you want to, you can have it all. And then we grew up and we're I mean, I don't know about you guys, but most of the women that I know who have kids are home. Now, which is shocking. Or they work and they're exhausted and it's not really what we thought it was gonna be like necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really shock me that we're seeing this play out differently than how it plays out in reality in books.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I admit, I have maybe two friends who have like awesome, fully actualized jobs and like both people have cool careers,
0: but no,
2: you're working whatever you're doing.
0: Yeah. 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 Paying the bills. Paying the bills. Even if you have fully actualized careers that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't sacrifices being made. The point is that the books and what we grew up with were, and this is like a totally different conversation, but this is my theory. I have a working theory and I'm gosh darn it. I just felt like saying it in real life, just because you have these great jobs does not mean that there aren't also really other huge sacrifices being made that aren't being verbalized. And if you took a whole bunch of women that have kids and are trying to, you know, like maybe you stay home, maybe you work, maybe you work part-time, maybe you don't. But like if you set them all down, not a single one would be like, I have it all and my life is fantastic. Maybe maybe one and everyone would be like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't. (laughs) But that's my point is that like, I think that like, we're seeing this happily ever after back when like the happily ever after was marriage and babies. I think realistically, we all know that marriage and babies isn't necessarily that's not that's not the recipe for happily ever after, is it? So I just think it's interesting to track how happily ever after is changing and how that relates to yeah. heteronormative well, traditional relationships.
2: Yeah. And I think and the how point about change. self-actualization is really the key here, right? It's now the self-actualization is about you as a whole person,
0: mm-hmm.
2: even in the romances where now I get to be a, a wifey and stay home with the kids, which are rare. But I think even in those, it's about that's what I choose as a person. Rather than if I get this thing. I will be happy,
0: yeah. I will be happy. Yeah. It's just such an interesting trend and like sitting down with this heteronormative conversation and then having it intersect with traditional H. It's just, I think it's a juicy conversation about happily ever after and what that looks like. Okay,
1: so we've talked a lot about more traditional relationships between two people. But what about polyamorous relationships, relationships, uh, closed relationships, triad or a closed quad. And I read a book last year about, I think it was last year, polyamorous V relationships. Those haven't even been within the scope of our heteronormative HEA conversation yet.
2: Well, so we did a group post in 2020 about polyamory, right? And triads and menage romances. But I think coming back to that in light of this conversation, definitely something we should do Because I think it's interesting because some poly books are still aiming towards this marriage and babies kind of thing, except there are just three of them. And they're all going to live together in a happy house and make it work. And I think, you know, even though those books aren't one man, one woman, or even, you know, just two people, I think they're still tapping into some of these additional ideas if we are thinking about what Ingrid's distinction is, right, that there's the people and there's the tradition, then I think some poly books are still tapped into the tradition, if not the people. Does that make
0: sense? It does. And and I think that what I'm thinking of right now, just like off the top of my head, when I think about this is, you know, what does that do for these relationships in the way that this is handled in a book? So if you have it so that it fetishizing polyamorous relationships, essentially. And how that happens when we try, we maybe have some authors who are trying to apply a polyamorous relationship and kind of cram it into heteronormative and traditional marriage. So it's not necessarily the same. It's built differently. When we do that, are we fetishizing it? Is it not fetishized? Like, how does that end up happening? And then.
2: Yeah. So this is interesting because I feel like, and we touched on this when we talked about Minaj before, that they're kind of two branches of Minaj romance, right? There's the, like, we're three people who are going to do some kinky stuff together. Woo, this is fun. And maybe they end up in a close triad or not, but, like, they don't actually talk about what polyamory looks like. And I think that's, you know, more on the fetish side. And the example that always comes to my mind is Sirloin of Beef by Vanessa Vale, mainly because (laughs) it's a title that I – it's stuck in my head forever, (laughs) right? And it's one of those, like, we're two men who are best friends and we're going to share our woman kind of books. And and I think, yes, that's fetishizing polyamory. But then there are also a lot of books where they are doing kind of the, like, we're going to have a family together – where we're going to have some kind of commitment ceremony and make and have children together, where it's very purposeful with the book delineating, this is something that we're talking through and purposely building. And so This Is Not The End by Sydney Bell is the one that comes to mind for that, where the whole purpose of the book is how can we build this relationship together? And I think that is also tapping into some of the ideas of the heteronormative HEA, but it's not about fetishizing it. It's about how can we decouple it a little bit and apply it to a different kind of relationship. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah, the one the one option is fetishizing like, oh, let's get three bodies in here instead of two. Let's think about what they can do together. But when it's a book like... This is not the end, which sounds like it's even more on the extremely thoughtful end of the scale. Mm-hmm. I read for the Menage Week three-way split by Elia Winters, and that was also intentional. I mean, Winters herself is Polly, so she's handling it with care, um, but they don't talk about like marriage and babies, but they are a closed triad at the end of the book. But it does seem like instead of having it be sort of the kinky, sexy, like, naughty story of three bodies in bed instead of two, it's normalizing the the idea that these relationships work, can work, are functional, are valid, like heterosexual couplings, which is, I think, a good thing. It's just also interesting to me, as you guys have already mentioned in a couple of different ways, that the outcome is still this heteronormative idea of a closed monogamous relationship which i find interesting because i have found those closed relationship books to be more satisfying to read than the couple of very intentionally polyamorous books in which the characters are ethically non-monogamous but end up with sort of this nebulous relationship at the end of the book it's not as final and finite as like yes our relationship is done, and there's a bow on top.
0: Well, and then on the other hand, you have that series that I read. Erin, remember it for me.
1: It's The Three Bears, right?
0: Yeah, but who's it by? It's
1: Gilded Mess by Colette Rhodes. Thank
0: you. In that one, the way that the author handled a lot of those gray areas where normally I think if it weren't a shifter book with Faded Mates stuff going on, the way that she solves a lot of that stuff, so it's not, it doesn't even have to be a conversation because it's totally shifter- paranormal, whatever. And so it's just, I mean, in one of the first book that I read, the Goldilocks and the Three Bears one, it's brothers too. So it's brothers with one that all share one partner. In every sense, winky winky. Gross. It Gross. It's, it, yeah, and I, there were many times where I would be reading, I'd be like, this is, this should be very squicky right now. and And it definitely has moments where you're like, This shouldn't be working for me. And it it kind of does because like the author is like, you know, hey, but it has to be this way because they're in a pack and blah, 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 blah. So just ignore the squickiness behind the curtain. Just leave it back there. And so I think that was a very unique way of dealing with some of that stuff because yeah, it's walked a lot of weird lines there. But I mean, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It worked. It did work.
1: (laughs) I think it's hilarious that this is what worked
0: for you. <laughs> Listen, no one is more surprised than me. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, on the other hand, it's like in every case, it's like a woman who's like, nope, I do not want this. Don't even try me. And then all the guys are like, but we will love you and worship you forever. And you're like, oh, okay, all right. Sounds good. You know? So yeah, I, it was kind of, it worked against my will. I'll get, oh, that's kind of what it was. But yeah, so that was you know, very much a veer into left field. Still commitment between a man and a woman who wanted a home life. The man wanted to take care of the woman, marriage and babies. Do you know what I mean? So still totally in left field, still felt traditional and heteronormative to me. Hmm. Even though it's brothers who can shift into bears, friends who can shift into various animals, we're fated mates. I can smell that you are aroused from between two walls. (laughs) <laughs> that kind of thing. Even Isn't then. Still had a is amazing. Isn't it?
1: So I don't know if you guys have read a lot of other books featuring polyamorous relationships, but the one that's been sticking with me since I finished it is The Life Revamp by Chris Ripper. And I picked it on purpose to read because it is a man who... He's bisexual, so he doesn't have any personal limitations about what partner he's going to end up with but he does really want a traditional marriage and family this is one of the things that he just wants out of life and he gets set up on a date with a man by the man's wife because this couple is polyamorous and it was really interesting in a lot of ways because It's exploring this idea of a polyamorous V relationship, right? There's no relationship whatsoever between the wife and the narrator. And most of the romance was focused on these guys' relationship, just like any other romance between a couple would be. But of course, the the conflict centers on can Mason, the narrator, actually have the life he wants with this guy who is already married, to another person and does not have any intention of getting divorced. And I thought everything that it was doing, it did thoughtfully and maybe well. However, and this could just be a me problem because I like things tied up in little bows, right? Like if people are saying they're not going to get married, that's great. But then I'm thinking, okay, but how are you going to ensure that your shared property is not a problem in the event of... (laughs) A death, you know, like this is honest to god. This is what I think about when I read. So there this is, is what gets me
0: with all the legal documents in order. <laughs> it's
1: true. It's true. It's true. So then you know, like these characters kind of work through their stuff. But at the end of it, I was left with, okay, well, they solved a lot of these problems. But is Mason, the narrator, getting the outward? validation that he was looking for with looking for marriage, right? Like, sometimes it's not about like, oh, we're married. This is the most important thing to me. It's being able to say, this is my permanent partner. Everybody understands that spouse equals permanent partner, right? Whereas other terms that are used are not as widely accepted. It, these these words have different meanings, and like, is Mason getting that fulfillment from the relationship that he was looking for, or is that not important to him anymore? And so being left with the question of not just, okay, we have a plan that we can like try to work it out. There was just a lot of open-ended question marks there that left me feeling like it wasn't done. Like the conversation wasn't done. The problems weren't necessarily solved. And it could just be because I haven't read widely with, uh, with this scenario, right? I am completely well-versed in every other trope it feels like. <laughs> or every other outcome in romance, but not this. So it could be that. But also, I think when you're starting to change the expectation of what is a satisfying happily ever after, I think there are some questions that will then be raised that need to be answered in order for for the outcome still to be satisfying, which cycling back to Alexis Hall's husband material, right? Like I think all of our other husband material books, because they were all between cis head couples, they ended up with marriage at the end of them. But... I mean, the Emily Dalvin book
2: didn't end with marriage. It ended with maybe I'll start dating with you. But the thing it was dealing with was it was kind of dealing with a different question. And I think it was really women's
1: fiction and not a romance romance.
2: Well, or it would have been better if like the romance hadn't been in there and it had just been women's fiction. Okay, we can kind of I feel like that's that's kind of doing a totally different thing. So bringing it back to the non-heteronormative HEA, and whether it's satisfying, it seems that the hitch on whether or not it's satisfying is not whether it's an HFN or an HEA, because we read both happily. But whether, I mean, it seems like for the Chris Ripper book you read, Erin, that your hiccup was, is Mason actually getting the self-actualized happy ending that he wants and the validation that he needs externally. Yeah. Which ties back to what Ingrid was saying that the happy ending now isn't just, I get a thing, I get marriage. It's I've gotten what I need. And I need,
1: that is a very good point.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a great point. I like that is looping back into what Ingrid had, had been saying. What looks happy now, I think regardless of what the couple or the partnership looks like now is, did the characters get fulfillment? Does the relationship that they're in make them better? Big picture, like not just within the relationship, but like Ingrid was talking about careers earlier. And then I think tying back into this life revamp book is Mason actually getting the life that he wanted And it's fine that it doesn't look the way he expected it to look. I think where I was left with was questions about whether or not he was actually happy, which I think could have been addressed on page. And it just kind of weren't.
0: That ties back to Ingrid's really aggressive thesis, which is that with romance, you have to grow separately and then together like that really is what we want in romance now and I think you can there's it like you said it could have happened on the page but I think that you don't have to be a reviewer to be able to tell when something just isn't there one of those three things or whatever separately and together book as a whole something didn't do that and it's really hard to root for a relationship if there are any questions that it's not the best thing for the people involved.
2: So, to kind of pull this back to our initial question and tie this back to husband material, my sense is with Alexis Hall's husband material, there was some backlash.
1: Is that too, maybe too strong a yeah. word? Yeah. There was no, some. No. I went back and read reviews. I went back and read. I mean, I read it as an arc, and I am one of the readers of the three of us. I'm definitely the one who's going to be most invested in the heteronormative HEA, which is interesting because I read a lot of books that aren't that. And it's fine as long as it's fine for the characters. It took me a while, given where Alexis Hall's husband material started compared to where it ended, to get on board with yes, this is what Luke and Oliver really want. And I think Oliver makes one of the best arguments. He has some good reasoning. He doesn't just say, I just don't need a piece of paper. He says, I don't feel like this is something that belongs to me. And so instead of just brushing off marriage as, oh, it's just a legal piece of paper that we don't need, or most marriages end anyway, so what's even the point? He's saying like, this is something that doesn't integrate with my identity. It belongs to other people. And I thought that was really great. I think Luke took some of the more traditional arguments. But just
2: like thinking about this book, that in particular, even though I felt that the ending did do what Ingrid's definition says, that they each grow separately, they grow together, they come back with a stronger foundation in their
1: relationship. But I think a lot of readers were really pissed They were very invested in the idea of Luke and Oliver getting married. I think what they really wanted was to see Luke and Oliver overcome their disagreements about the wedding specifically Mm -hmm. and brush all that off and to ride off into the sunset with like the right wedding that fit them instead of not that, which, you know, in retrospect, hello, it's Alexis Hall. (laughs) Like (laughs) nobody should have been expecting that. (laughs) Alexis Hall Because of the HFN style of his writing, he goes 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 builds up this huge relationship that you want to root for, and also problem that you see coming and is going to just like crash and burn all over the place, and then wraps it up at the end very quickly, right? Like walking out into the. I mean, you we all read *Glitterland*. Same deal. I don't think I've read a book by him that has nope he did an epilogue in A Lady for a Duke I think that's the only time I've ever read anything by him that has any sort of length at the end of the relationship
0: I this is why I really like authors like this because they really shake things up and open up different avenues for other authors to really push the boundaries on some of this stuff and like when you think about how romance novels have shifted I mean we just did that old school bodice rippers week and when we looked at the books that we started reading in this genre until now like the way that they have changed and in such a short amount of time it's fascinating I think it's amazing and I think it's so cool like what other maybe I'm wrong I don't read a lot of other books let's be honest here what other genre has that going on like this I think it's fascinating and it's like such a like Ugh, I just love it you know I just love it so
2: so I think if we're going to wrap this up in a bow, this question of does a happy ending have to be heteronormative to be satisfying, I think what we're saying is that we, we've pushed the boundary enough that it doesn't matter necessarily what the relationship looks like, right? That we can have more than one person, but that what readers, or at least us, the three of us as readers are looking for is the idea That the people in the relationship are self-actualized in some way through the relationship and that they are happy and that there's some kind of cap on everything, whether it's that they're getting married or committed to each other or that they've solved the fight, right? They've figured out the one fight that they were having that led
1: to their black moment at the two ends of the spectrum. Is that Would you guys agree?
0: Yeah, I think I think so.
1: Right. I, we just read so many books that we're likely to find not only a broad spectrum of endings, but also varying success of those endings. <laughs> Whereas when we were, you know, 15, we were reading fewer books and more of the same kind of books. Lots of pirates.
0: Yeah, Lots of pirates for me. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if I was reading fewer books when I was 15. Back when I was 15, yes. I, could, I had days where I would read like two Avon's. Back
0: to back. (laughs) Yeah, but they were what you could find at the end cap, the romance end cap at the library, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thanks for joining us on our first podcast adventure to discuss the idea of husband material and heteronormative HEAs. We hope to do it again sometime. Until then, you can find us on our blog at smutreport.com. Leave us some comments. Tell us what you want to hear. We love to hear from you. Na
0: na 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 -na 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 smut report